It was a very difficult emotional roller coaster to kind of go through when you felt like that, like people were expecting to see you upset all the time. Or if I was having a good day and I'd walk into a shop and there would be awful things written on a newspaper about them and it would throw me back again. And I found that very difficult for a long time. Two years ago, I lost my mum. It was an out-of-the-blue, world, upside-down, life-altering experience. My mum was my rock, my best friend. She raised seven children, seven grandchildren, and was adored by all of us. Losing her has changed me in ways I couldn't have anticipated. I now look at life differently. I'm more selective with my friends, an environment and obviously I have days when I feel the world is just a totally different place. Throughout this series I wanted to understand grief, I wanted to understand the sadness, the anger, the confusion and the reality warts and all. I'm asking my friends and some familiar faces about their experiences and learning from them as I go. I need to know if I'll ever feel like me again. And I believe the only people that can help me figure that out are the people who know me the best. This week, I speak with Lottie Ryan. We all remember the day we got the news that Jerry Ryan had passed away. He was a national icon and part of our lives. A state funeral was held in his honour and his death made the front pages. And while there is a solace in the knowledge he was loved by so many, on the flip side, the public experience of grief is extremely difficult to navigate. Lottie opens up to me about sharing her father with the nation, following in his footsteps, and how she believes his legacy lives on. Lottie Ryan, welcome to Death Becomes Him. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to do this because I feel like we've been talking about doing this for ages. We have been talking uh, about doing this, I'm going to say, probably from the first week of rehearsals for Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, so we're talking about back in December, really, is when you Four first... Four months. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, it does feel like a long time ago. And it's mad to think that that was only the seed of an idea, really, when you first spoke about it with me. And to see the podcast have developed and become what it is now is pretty amazing, Brian. Because I remember I, I came up with the idea of myself and Donal, and it was quite soon after we'd lost mom. And then, as you know yourself, which we'll talk about, it was I was probably too raw with still recovering, I think, mm. to have done it back then. And it was only when I was coming over to Ireland for Dancing with the Stars, I believe in, you know, the, everything happens at the right time. Yeah. And then you and I started to work together. And I was thinking of people that I could ask. And I wanted everyone's story to be different. Because as I've said um, in the series, everyone's grief is so individual and unique but trying to get hold of you because you constantly work. <laughs> yeah, it was it's like a every bad day, habit that I have. Yeah, I get it. Every day you were doing radio yeah. and then you were rehearsing for Dancing with Stars. And then I left in February. Sure, you were back on the show for a week after me. I was like, when can I get her? When is she available? 
Yeah, I remember you saying to me when you finished up on dancing, you were like, okay, so we still, we have to plan this podcast. And I was like, Brian, it's going to be a while. I plan on being here yeah. till the end, man. <laughs> you were like, bitch, I ain't leaving. Bitch, I ain't going started, nowhere. Congratulations. You're oh, the thank, winner. Thank you. Thank you. How, I mean, I can relate to wondering who's going to win, who's going to win. And I mean, I don't think you think it's going to be you. You kind of hope that it is. But what were you feeling just when the... You, the and plus, because the final was brought forward a week. So that was a whole different drama you had to kind of deal with as well. I don't think that, to be honest with you, on the actual day, I don't think any of us thought about who was going to win because mm -hmm. we were so caught off guard by the fact that it was the final. Yeah. And I think everybody was... Emotions were so high because... On one hand, we were all devastated that it was ending a week early because when you're at that stage, you want to, you want it to go to the very end. And then another part of us was obviously the four of us were hugely excited because we were all suddenly finalists. So we were all kind of watching each other's back, making sure everyone was okay because everyone was really nervous. There was no audience. So it didn't, in that sense, it didn't feel like a final. Um, and then when it finally came for the names to be called out, there was a part of me going, oh man, somebody actually has to win this thing now. You know, it, it, it definitely, it was surreal because it just was completely surreal. I drove in to fight in a semi-final and I drove home with a glitter ball. So, well, actually I said to you um, when we were organizing the day for this, I was like, so where is your glitter ball. And then you told me you actually don't get the big one. They send you one, don't they? Is that what you told me? Uh, like, uh, honestly, I've never been so embarrassed in my whole life. I was clinging to that glitter ball, legging it out the door Let in the studio. And a producer comes running after me going, no, 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 you have to give that back. We send you a miniature replica. <laughs> And you're so, like, I'm the winner. I wanted to go home and drink champagne out of it. So no, that hasn't happened yet. But once lockdown is over, it's the first thing that I want to do. I said when I was on the show, and I said this to Nikki Byrne, I feel like I was on an emotional roller coaster. Because oh, I, I was so attached to doing it. We all committed. But for me, it's that time of year. Mom's birthday is in December. We okay. then have Christmas um, and then coming up to anniversary in February. And I remember the, the night that I was sent home. And then Nicky said, it was, I only remember he, he said it because I watched the, um, the show back. He said, your mom would be so proud of you. Mm. And it was something that I didn't really hear at the time. And I'm just wondering, how did you kind of deal with that, with your dad not being around on a show like that, because it is so emotional. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he would have relished in a show like that. I think he came from a very theatrical background. You know, his mother was a dancer in the Olympia and uh, she was like a chorus line girl and she came from a family of costumeers. They owned the costume shop above the Olympia and they would hand make all the costumes for the show. Oh, wow. So my background, I suppose, or my heritage in that sense comes from the sequence and the glitz and the glam. And I had never really had a chance to experience it myself. So yeah. I really think... It was one of those moments in my life when he would have been front row 
going absolutely bananas for me. I think he would have absolutely loved it. Um, and like that, it's funny when you say you didn't take in what Nikki was saying in the moment. It was only when you watched it back. There's definitely a little bit of that with me as well. I tend to block things out so as I can get on with the job. And yeah. then afterwards, um, I will allow emotions to come through thinking about things like that. Yeah, because I found myself that when I had done the the cha cha cha, and that was, um, you know, it's memory lane, and I chosen the year we lost mom. If I go and I start to cry, especially about a subject like my mom, there's no consoling me. Like I'm gone. Yeah, I mean, I see you're in still in a slightly different place to me because you're so early in the process. Um, of grieving and bereavement. Whereas I'm, I mean, on Thursday, I'm 10 years. Is it? Um, this Thursday. Thursday. Oh, yeah, wow. coming. Oh my, so a, de- a decade, wow. A decade, yeah. Jesus so, wow. I mean, it's, it's very, very strange to say a decade because it obviously sounds like a considerable amount of time. It sounds longer than 10 years. A decade sounds it longer does. than 10 years. 10 years sounds more recent. But it, it absolutely does. But I think at my stage of the grieving process, and I don't know if it's because of the way I dealt, I, I had to deal with things in the beginning, but I'm very business um, and, you know, then the real me are two very separate things. I'm really good blocking my emotion and have you have you always been like that always been like that I probably only like I'm gonna say very recently have allowed myself to be a bit more vulnerable and open about it but that took 10 years yeah and why do you think why do you think that is um it's a good question I don't really know the answer to um I don't know if it's because my version of going through the passing of a parent was a very public one. And maybe I felt very, I was super protective of my younger siblings. And I felt a need to encapsulate us and protect us. And I just became very aware of presenting a strong front And I just always have been like that. I just kind of go into business mode. And for me, that means putting on a a bit of a wall and, you know, trying to keep my stuff together. How do you think you've dealt with your grief? Does it get any easier? I think it does get easier. Um, It absolutely gets easier. Time is a healer. And it's not that you miss the person less because you'll always miss them just as much as you did in the beginning, but you learn to cope with it better. Um, Because for me, I think I started to answer questions better. For example, I'm not a very religious person. Um, So when my dad passed away immediately, one of the big things for me was, where is he? Um, Mm. Like, what's happened to him? Where is he? And I had all these kind of existential questions that I'd never asked myself before. Um, and when you don't have answers to those questions, it can be quite frightening as a, I mean, I was young, I was 23 years old. So, so young. You, yeah. You, I, I just had all these questions that I didn't have answers to. And I think as you get older and as time goes by and you develop your own understanding of death and what it means, 
I think you be, can become more comfortable with it. But I definitely at the time thought, why did nobody ever speak to me in school about this? Like, why, why did nobody talk to me about death before? Why is this my first experience of it? Yeah, because I said, it's inevitable in life that we will, use, uh, we will lose our grandparents. Mm-hmm. That is very understanding and very accepting and we just accept it. But it's what you've just said. No one shares with you how to grieve for a parent it's so difficult how did you you mentioned there because an interesting thing about talking to you is that your story is so unique because it was so high profile Mm. your dad is iconic your dad is an icon Mm. right how do you grieve or can you grieve when the nation is also grieving it's very difficult um, is very difficult because I felt for a long time very much like um, I, like I've never spoken about this, so it's hard to put it into words. I mean, when I would go out, I used to, I would know when people were staring at us as a family because I was with my dad. But now suddenly people were staring at us and he wasn't there. And I felt it was people were expecting me to always look upset or be in grief. And I could be having a day where I woke up and maybe it wasn't the first thing on my mind. And I went out and I was happy and laughing. And you'd see like people would be staring at you and pointing at you. And it was it was very much like that in the beginning. And I always I, I kind of felt like not that I was betraying him, but like it was, it was a very difficult emotional roller coaster to kind of go through when you felt like that, like people were expecting to see you upset all the time. Or if I was having a good day and I'd walk into a shop and there would be awful things written on a newspaper about him and it would throw me back again. And I found that very difficult for a long time. Or if people always wanted to talk about them and sometimes maybe I just didn't want to. Mm. Um, so that took me a long, long time to get used to. Um, but I feel like I'm in control of it finally. Like I feel like I finally, I embrace it and uh, I, I'm comfortable with it now. But like Brian, when I tell you that it was like that for many, many years, I like anyone who's close to me will tell you I'm a closed book at the best of times, but I was very, very closed for a long, long time because of it. Um, you were saying yourself, you were only 23 when you lost your dad. That is so young. And how do you, you just mentioned there when you'd walk into a shop where you'd see a front page, you see an article about your dad and it wouldn't be the most positive article or it was all lies. How do you deal with that? How do you process it? Does it that must hinder your grief. Oh yeah, of course it does. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm very good at living in a little bubble of ignorance when it comes to press, good and bad. I try mm. to ignore everything generally. Um, it's just a policy that I have. But sometimes I suppose when there is stuff staring at you in the face that you have very strong opinions about and you wish you could vocalize them, that can be really difficult. Um, so... I would just have to turn a blind eye and you just have to keep reminding yourself that nobody's opinion matters except the ones of your loved ones who actually know the person. The opinions of people who don't know you don't matter, in my opinion. And it takes a while to 
fully embrace that and really actually believe it? Um, I agree with you. It's so easy to say when you're being interviewed, oh, you know, I don't buy into the negativity or, you know, I, you know, I always say, oh, I don't care. But it's so weird. You do care. So how do you switch that off when it's about your dad? I suppose I was I, I was good at it from the beginning because I was good to to switching off between dad that was at home and dad that was on the radio because they were different people. And yeah. so I was very good at that. So when he died, I kind of thought all the stuff, you know, um, everybody, it being such a big passing and everybody feeling like they knew him. And I felt like that was dad on the radio, but I tried to grieve dad at home. If that makes no. sense. I know oh, that I, that's I almost saying. feel a bit, I know, because it's almost like he was, your dad was the real person. Yeah. And what people had on the radio. That was a personality. But that was his job. Yeah. That was his job. Yeah. That was a different person. That's why if people would often say to me, oh, I, I hate him on the radio. And when he was talking about this and I hated that, and that's completely fine to me. That would never upset me or offend me. That's you're completely entitled to your opinion. It's not your opinion on him as a person. So I was really good at separating dad to Jerry Ryan. They were very yeah. different people to me. And I suppose when he passed, um, maybe that's just the mode I went into. I felt like the business end of things was Jerry Ryan and the public side of it. And then privately was trying to grieve the death of your dad. And at the end no, of the day, of dad is dad. It doesn't matter what yeah. they did for a living. No, It's a huge person in your life. And for me, he was like my best mate. So it was that that grief and that pain is the same no matter what the situation is that you find yourself in, I think. Take me back, um, and I hope this isn't too intrusive. Um, take me back to 10 years ago, you know, when you when you found out, because I can remember everything about that phone call, you know, where I was, you know, what what I was doing, who who was I with, the conversations I had. Is that still quite real for you reliving that and thinking about that I think that's the hardest part of it for me that right. moment in my head I probably still haven't fully become comfortable with it because it was just my whole my whole life changed in an instant and that I'm sure it feels the same for you but I, I obviously I wasn't expecting to the the news when I got the news so I just felt like my whole world suddenly shattered. And it, when I think back about me those 10 years ago, I get quite upset because I feel so sorry for what that person's about to go through. And yeah. it, it was just, it was horrific. Um, now, thankfully, I was with some of my family um, when I got the news. But the whole day is a big blur in my head you know, in terms of what happened and um, the emotion around it. And it was so, it was just awful, Brian. You know, I'm sure it was the same for you. It's the worst moment you can think of. Like, there's no point in sugarcoating. No. It's not a great experience for anyone. And I'm the eldest of five. I was 23, you know, so there were very young kids in my house. And it was just a very, very difficult time. Um, and immediately what I found difficult was you become surround, surrounded by people so quickly. I know. 
And people mean well. They really do mean well, but it's very hard to take in. I ex- I, I kind of called it the show or mm. like the circus. It's so yeah. strange. And you almost think, you know, what I went through was tiny compares to what you went through uh, with your dad because he was so and still is so high profile. You know, it was almost like a state funeral. It was, I think it was on television, right? It was, it was on television. Yeah, it was, it was broadcast. It was on television. But do you know what? It didn't feel like that to me. Right. Um, How? Because, <laughs> How yeah. does that not feel so massive? Do you know, I don't know. Like I knew, I knew when we left our house with him and I walked outside and there were police everywhere and barricades and cameras and I kind of got went, whoa, okay, this isn't normal. But from for the rest of the day, we were so well looked after by family, friends, and um, by the guards and people close to the family. It really felt like a small group of my dad's my dad's two brothers and um, my immediate family. It felt small, um, so I wasn't hugely aware of how big it was until maybe a couple of weeks afterwards when I I looked back at pictures and I realized holy crap there were some pretty big crowds outside that church I didn't even remember seeing any of that but you're in shock shock is a wonderful thing Um, and you know what really is yeah because I think it's that because I've you know spoken to people who have had the shock where like you and I, um, the parent is not ill. Yeah. There's no time to grieve. Mm. It's so shocking that I actually described it a bit like, I felt like my mom was murdered Mm. because she's taken away so quickly and it doesn't make sense. And I found that the hardest thing to process. And maybe what you're saying is shock is a blessing because you probably go into autopilot, right? Absolutely. I think you like when I think back in terms of planning his funeral um, and all the details, like I, I'm reading his eulogy. How did I do that? I don't know how I did that. But it's shock allows you to do those things. And I think shock is incredible because it'll only allow you to feel so much. It'll only allow you to process what you're capable of processing. I'd say I was in shock for a long, long time, months, I would say. Yeah. Um, and you feel it like you physically feel it. And when yeah. it wears off, I think you physically feel it yeah. um, because you go through a whole other thing. Thing then when it wears off and you start to feel more what has happened um but shock is uh, like uh, going back if I could give myself advice I'd say embrace the shock allow it to be you know it, it happens for a reason like that and it, it's to help you get through these moments um do you find it difficult even though it's been 10 years to kind of move on or make progress when you're constantly reminded of your dad because he still has such a presence in tabloids on television shows does that hinder the process or does it help is it nice no I think it's a mix of both I think it's nice in the sense that it's helped me to grow because it's forced me to be uncomfortable like I'm a little bit even uncomfortable 
talking about it so frankly right now. Mm. And like, why? I don't even know why I am. Why um, do you think, do you think that's the thing of what you said is that you're still in that kind of protective yeah, mode? You're still being think, quite guarded. I'm, I'm very guarded. I'm guarded of um, how interested people are in him. I'm very aware of it. I'm so hyper protective of my family. Um, and I think I'm very guarded of how special he is and was to us. And I think I just, I'm very protective of him and his memory and, uh, you know, as a dad. And I don't know, I think maybe it's because I'm so aware of how interested people are in him that I'm guarded when I'm talking about him. Um, but I think it's important that I learn to get over that for myself. Um, so when I'm reminded of them, nowadays, it just makes me happy. Um, yeah. Whereas before, I would have immediately started sweating and being like, oh my God, I have to be so careful about what I say. And right. what are they What are they waiting for me to say something that I'm not supposed to say? And Or maybe they're going to say that I said it like this when I meant it like this. And yeah, yeah so I think... Um, I'm getting better, but it's by no means a straight road. Like you just have to take it as it comes and maybe I'll always be learning how to deal with it. I don't know. Well, I always think that that's okay. Like it's, it's so individual. What works for you may not work for me. That didn't work for Arthur and our chat or Nadia's chat because it's so individual. The only thing what I, I've realized with all of these is that the pain Mm. And the grief mm -hmm. connects all of us. Oh, yeah. But the passings are so individual. I know. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It absolutely makes sense. I think, I think that's what connects us all. And that's, there's a comfort in that. Yeah. There's a comfort knowing there's other people who've gone through this and have come out the other end and, you know, life can go on. Like at the time, I remember feeling like, it was like the world was technicolor and it suddenly became black and white. And I was convinced it would never be technicolor again. I thought that's mm. it. The goodness is gone. Mm. And that's just not true. And that's how it can feel for a lot of people at the time. And sometimes it takes a long time for that color to come back into your life, but you can get there and you just have to have faith that, you know, you're strong enough to get through it. And that, I used to always think when I'd be having a bad day, dad didn't raise me to hang around with my head in my arms crying. He raised me to fight. So yeah. I kind of, in the beginning, would always do stuff for him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So as I'd be making him proud. Yeah, I feel like now that, you know, I, I've said that I'm actually a bit of a people pleaser yeah I've always been a people pleaser but I mean I'm the eldest you're the eldest I'm one of seven so I almost feel like I as much as people think I don't I kind of go with the flow and if I make plans and then someone wants to change it and I put so much effort into doing it I'm like oh I'll just change it whereas now with mom not being around I'm almost living my life in a way that I think she'd want me to live my life and that's in a very truthful honest way so do you feel like you're calmer I feel like I'm calmer. I also feel like, I said this recently, that I feel like it's almost made me a better person, which it sounds so bizarre. I think you it's know, made me It's so softer. funny that you say that because I feel like that as well, but I almost you, feel okay. bad saying that. No, I see, I don't feel bad saying that. And I, I've said it 
when I, when I first thought, said it, I thought, shit, does that mean I, I you know, I wanted her to pass this, you know, cause you, you, you think it's, it's a negative, right? Yeah. And I go, I go, no, because it, it's made me appreciate life. And it's also made me appreciate we're not going to be here for as long as we think we are. Yeah. And shit can change just like that. And it's made me more approachable. I feel the exact same. I feel like I definitely became more approachable. I became much more driven in terms of opportunities that came my way because I everything that happens, I, I want to give it so much of myself because I'm in this live in the moment headspace in a way that I used to never be. I used to constantly worry about the future. And now I'm so much more in the now. And in the way that I have empathy for other people or how I view situations people are in who I even might not necessarily get along with. Yeah. I do it in a better way than I used to. Um, so, me. Yeah. It's unusual though. It's funny that you're able to say it so freely and it took me so long to be able to say it. Yeah. It's almost like I owned it straight away because it was so, I, I find myself now being so honest Mm. with myself and I almost like I I've it's almost like I can't control the honesty wow but, but, it, but in a good way because it, it, it's beneficial to me to live my life in this way uh, that's my goal man if I yeah. like I want to be like that I want to be less blocked and I want to be able to be more honest that's like I it's just a slower process for me maybe but like I'm jealous of how open and honest you're able to be. It's that's what my goal is. But it's not so strange that you're coming to, you know, 10 years. And, and I'm, I'm getting two there years. now. But it's 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 not so strange though how grief is so different. I know. And there there is there is there is no time limit on oh, it. Absolutely not. But there's people who there's people who I've spoken to whose parent might have passed away 20 years. And they're only suddenly now really upset about it. And it's because maybe they didn't allow that to happen at the time. Like everyone's journey with grief is so different and so individual. And like you said before, there is no booklet for this. There's no chapter. There's no, there is no right or wrong way to be. And I think it's one thing to say that because even when I hear myself saying that I don't always fully practice it myself because I still stop myself with certain aspects of grief, even though I shouldn't. And mm. um, so it's all, it's a learning process, even for me, 10 years down the line. It's and a lot of that, Brian is because, and I felt this so much in the beginning, my dad was the person I went to for advice on everything. He was my counselor. And I just remember thinking when he died, one of the first things I thought was, I have to ask dad how I deal with this. How, what do I do? And the person I, I would go to for my advice wasn't there. So that took a long time for me to get used to. How did you deal with that? How do you deal with that? I think because his voice was so prominent, sometimes I felt that when I'd ask the question, I'd almost hear the answer, even, oh, if, it, oh, wow. even if it was an answer I didn't want to hear. Like I would feel for a long time, like I'd instinctively know what he would say or what he would want me to do um, in certain situations. But in the beginning, I kind of felt like I'd lost my teammate and my team player and I was so angry and confused and I didn't know what I was supposed to do 
I like the way you said angry. I was so angry. Yeah. Like I remember being at the funeral and I was almost so angry I could do a reading. I was, like, <laughs> I, was I was so angry. Yeah. And my sister's like, well, you know, ma'am would, would want this. Oh, would she? Would, would she? Well, you know what? Good for her that she would. And even reading it, I was like really forceful, you know, with the words. Because I, like, oh. I was just so angry. And even looking back now at the funeral, it's it's so it's it's I can't even describe it because I was it was so weird. I knew that I was angry and I kept telling myself, don't be angry, don't be angry. And even if anyone like approached me, I was almost like. Oh, yeah, well, I, I don't think I, I, I spoke to anyone except my family at the funeral. Yeah. Yeah. But it, isn't it a weird experience to feel so angry? So strange. It's so strange to be so consumed by emotion, full stop. Like. It's so hard to describe how full of emotion you are, yet there's like a hole in your chest. Yeah. Like I would be full of anger or full of utter sadness, um, like crying myself to sleep for weeks and weeks and waking up crying. And it was just, it was a horrific process to go through. And you're so exhausted. Yeah, and like, you know, we said earlier at that age, then how do you deal with the media intrusion and everything that is said about your dad and everyone has an opinion and all the shit that you're reading in the newspapers, speculation about this and that. How do you process that? That must be so tough, Lottie, when you're only 23. Yeah, it, you know, I don't think it was difficult initially because I kind of went into business mode Right. Um, like I was talking about earlier, initially I was like, like a death is a death. Nothing else matters. When, when a parent dies, everything's very black and white. I just want my dad back. I don't care about anything else. Like yeah. it's really that simple. What did start to get to me was one year, two year, three year, four year, five year, six year. <laughs> And I know it's still, coming now, seven. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's when I started to kind of be like, man, dad, did you have to be so fecking interesting and newsworthy? See, like, seriously. I, I, I get that. I get what, I mean, not to that level, but I'm laughing now because I can understand your frustrations. Like, God, dad, give me a break. Yeah, absolutely. Like, give, give us a break, man. Like, seriously. So that became frustrating because I kind of felt like it was time to leave him alone. Just yeah. leave him alone. Like he, like, I don't, I don't want to have to justify how amazing a dad he was. And I don't want to have to, I'm not going to comment on people's opinions who've never met him or don't know him. And like, I just got to a stage, I think, where I was just tired. Yeah. I was so mentally and physically tired fighting the fight that I just decided to not care anymore. I just said, I, I'm done with this. And that was probably when I started healing, I'd say. And um, how long ago was that? Maybe a year or two ago. Wow, okay, so... Like, it took me a, a long good, time, a, Brian. A good bit in. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just going to use your words there when you said, leave him alone. Um, do you think people will ever leave him alone? No. Right. But there's a part of me that thinks he would have fucking loved that. 
loving the attention. Loving the attention, thinking, my God, could you imagine what the listenership would be on the radio show? (laughs) Like, I don't think so, but I think I get better with dealing with it. And I think my siblings get better with dealing with it. And, um, you know, that's who he was. Mm. He was super interesting. He sold a lot of papers. and still does still does and do you know what i'm feckin proud of him for it and yeah. like that's that's what my life is and that's what his life is and it's fine with me now it wasn't fine for a long time but now it is now it's okay um i'm also the eldest and as are you are and i always feel that i'm constantly worried about my sister's grief mm. and how they are doing and to make sure they're okay and I think for me, that's been a blessing. As a distraction. In a way, because my sisters have always said to me that I've never properly dealt with it. I still, they, they don't think I've dealt with it properly. Okay. Because, but maybe I'm dealing with it in my way, which is different to theirs. Because there's seven of us. So do you feel you sometimes are more concerned over your siblings' feelings and grief than you are your own. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's probably naturally what happens to the eldest child. Right. Um, I think I think as the eldest, you're like that with so many aspects of your siblings' lives. And this is just another aspect of it. You go into protective parent mode. Like I went into, okay, what would dad do for the kids now? he'd get them each a little commemorative present and he'd write them each a letter. And, uh, and, and so but I better do that. Right. So I, I definitely took some of that on and tried to maybe give the best advice that I could and do what he would have wanted me to do and to look after them. And I think you just, you become very bonded as a family because don't you feel kind of like nobody else understands your grief as a family and there's only a couple of you going through it. So you're kind of like your own counsellors. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel in a way that it's actually, and now I say we're stronger together because I feel a bit like, and you've got a chance to, you would have got a chance to meet my sisters when they came down to dance on, on the show. I feel like we're stronger together. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that we we represent who our mom is and we are her legacy. And until the last one of us take our breath, whenever that is, she is with us. That's exactly you know? how I feel. I feel yeah. when when the five of us are together, I feel like we are such a strong team. We're so bonded. We're very connected. And the great thing, and you probably actually feel this as well, when you have a big family, you well we went through our grief at different stages so what was great was when somebody was going through a very difficult time somebody else might have been in a bit of a better place so we were able to kind of pull and tug at each other when it was necessary to help each other through the particular moments but as a team it was just something that bonded us together in a way that um God, it's very hard to describe because we almost intuitively know how we are each thinking and um, we're just like, I would choose them as my friends if they weren't my siblings. They're amazing people and I'm incredibly proud of how they dealt with it. Like I was young, but they were all younger. Um, So I'm in awe of them. I remember at um, mom's funeral, it's like what you just said there, when one of my sisters was having a moment, someone else would stand up and take the lead. Yeah. 
and it's quite good. It's, you know, we're high five. I'll, I'll take over now. You have something to eat, have a cup of tea, you know. Absolutely. And that's what you're there for. That's what you're there to do. And you'll always know when somebody needs it more than another. Because even if one or two of us are going through a bad time, if I see, okay, someone in particular is really struggling, I just snap into... You just business get, mode. Yeah, the show goes on. The show goes on. You just have to get up and you do what is required and you you pull the person up and you get through it together. And that develops a bond between siblings that is just it's incredible. It really is. Um we talked about shock getting you, you through it. Um I laugh when I think of this because it's so funny. It's not it's not funny, it's my mom's funeral. It's so funny. Um I was Bring delirious. On that black humor. Yes, I was <laughs> I was delirious. Like we were delirious. I jet lag from LA. We um, you're not eating for days on end, mm. you know. And we had laughed around my mom's coffin, Lottie. Yeah. Like probably like we've never laughed in life before belly laughing and yeah. I, I've said if people heard us laugh outside the house they would go what the fuck is going on in that house <laughs> did you have any of those moments at all where you you just go delirious and all you can do is just laugh or shared stories or or moments where you go oh my god so many of them so so many of them um like we we had our dad at home for a few days before um, the funeral. Yeah. And we did that thing where, you know, somebody has to stay up through the night with them. And Okay, do you understand this? Because we've done that. And isn't it like two or three people have yes. to stay in the room so the corpse is not left by themselves? Exactly. Okay, that's it. I didn't stay up, by the way. I'm saying right now I was in bed. <laughs> now, I don't know why, why that's a tradition. It was important Something to somebody, to so we devil. just did it. Something to do with it. It's a Catholic thing. I don't know. Then maybe it was my nana. I I don't yeah, know. But I'm telling you, it's something we. I'm sure someone will tell me when this episode goes out. Something to do with the devil or something along that. They that can't way. be left alone. The body can't, can't be, be left alone. alone. Yes, yes. So uh, people took it in turns, but there was one night where we where it was we were up for with my uncle and a couple of my brothers and sisters, and you'd be up having like like you're saying big belly laughs. And then I just kind of at one point said, Jesus, lads, dead dad is in the middle of us. What the fuck's going on here? <laughs> and you just no, have it. to laugh because what else is there to do? You know, it's it, like there's nothing else to do sometimes. And I just think laughter is the key. The first time that I, I laughed I after I found out he died, I will never forget that moment because it was the first moment I went, maybe everything will be okay. Right. I think laughter is something you should never feel guilty for. You know, they would want you to be laughing and to be happy. And, you know, you just have to do whatever it is that gets you through at that time. Luckily, my family were very blessed with my dad was obsessive about video recording everything. So we have like hundreds of hours of family videos. And I'd say we sat around for days just watching old videos, which was very therapeutic. Um, and it's a lovely thing to do. And now I record everything as well because I realize how important it is to have footage of the people you love. Yeah. No, I mean, I think we're quite lucky even more so now with my mom, you know, in the years that you've lost your dad is that technology now is just so oh. good. We have videos, we have voice notes. I, I've got voicemails. Sometimes I watch them and then I could go through a phase like I've not watched any video of my mom or her 
heard her voice properly and oh it's been months could be nearly a year I go through phases, phases of yeah, wanting to be reminded because sometimes I think I forget what she looks like which I think is really weird no I don't think that's weird you I don't think, think so no I don't think so because you haven't seen her in a while yeah but but I, I knew her for like nearly 40 years it pro- probably some of it is your mind playing tricks on you as well. Um, right. But I think I definitely go through fa- the exact same thing. I go through phases where I will literally have like copies of his show in my car when I'm driving around that I will be religiously listening to, to not listening or looking at anything to do with him for a couple of months. You yeah. go through phases. Um, and sometimes I think... I don't know if it sounds bad, but sometimes the longer the phase of not doing it, I wonder, is the healing getting better then? It is because it almost numbs you from the reality. Mm. Yeah, because I I moved to um, Los Angeles after uh, we lost mom. Like, I, I still can't say, uh, I'd have uh, trouble saying the D word. Yeah, so okay. I, I say lost. And when I moved to LA, LA is completely different to Rathangan. It's different to Kildare. <laughs> and I, yeah, just a little bit. So I feel like, that's when my sister said is that I, I've not fully immersed myself in it. I okay. always traveled. I've always been away. So when I'm away, it's my safe space. So were you away for the first Christmas, the first birthday? Were you no, away for all I, that? No, I've always come home for Christmas. Oh, wow. I've, always, okay. I've never missed a Christmas. I've never, ever missed a Christmas. And I've always come home. And then since we lost mom, then I was here for her birthdays. Okay. It, it's become kind of more important because... Much like what you're describing, I think our families have got a lot in common in the fact that family means everything. Yes. And things like that are so important. I remember when my mom turned 60 and I put a picture of her on Instagram. It would have been three three years ago. And I was like, mom, it's got 1,000 likes, 2,000 likes. And my mom was like, oh, go on, well, sure, would you look? She was loving it. <laughs> I was like, mom, you've got 3,000 likes. Oh, she was like, oh, well, you know... She, how do you think your dad would embrace stuff like that and you know, social media? And you oh doing my god, I don't think he would have survived very well, to be honest. Why? He, oh, because he was a loose cannon man, he like he'd say whatever he wanted. He'd you know, he got into so much trouble on the radio all the time. So, I think what I think Twitter had just started because I do. I think I remember him having a Twitter account for the show. You're right. Twitter was in his infancy, 2010. Yeah, you're right. 20, yeah, 20. Yes, you're right. It was around that time. I think so, yeah. And I think I remember seeing him sitting at a computer at home being like... Oh, can you imagine what a... Can you imagine saying about a whiskey in hand going, uh, exactly, I let know about this. Exactly. So yes. I, I don't know if it would have gone down too well. I'd say he would have got himself in a whole world of trouble with social media. Um, and he would have hated it as well because he was so family obsessed. He was so obsessed with family traditions and Sunday lunches and um, marking special occasions. If, if, if I had sat down or someone had sat down at a dinner table with a phone and not conversed with him about the day or he would have, that just would not have been okay. So I just, I think he would have hated it. Would you not think that's a really good 
quality because the one thing me and my sisters um, have in common, and even now is that we like to eat together as a family. Growing up, meals were very important for us. When yeah, we were on holidays from school, we'd lunch every day together. My mom would make tater sandwiches or corned beef sandwiches yeah, or you know, ham and cheese toasties. So for us, sitting down as a family was so important and talking to each other. And my so mom, important. My mom would put so much effort into cooking and preparing, you know, the meal, whatever it was. And one week, one of us would be a vegetarian and one wouldn't eat the sausages. And she'd be like, oh, you're fucking driving me mad. But we'd all sit down together as a family and eat as a family and talk as a family. I like that your dad was like that. He was, that's, it was so important. And to this day, we still do Sunday lunches. And I think it's because it was such a tradition to him. He cooked Sunday lunch every Sunday and he was huge into cooking. It would like, I think he would have been a chef if he hadn't have been on the radio. He was obsessed with cooking. Was and, he a good cook? Oh, he was an incredible cook. He, he just, he loved it. He would spend all day in the kitchen. And Sunday lunch was like a ceremony to him almost. Oh, I love him. What was Christmas Day like? Oh, like he would be cooking beef wellington oh. and a turkey. He was oh, just so fabulous. over the top. Like he was so OTT. Um, but, and he'd have like his special chef hat and it was all theatrics. And a festive apron. And a festive apron. Love that it. said celebrity chef. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> So it was a huge deal. So we still do Sunday lunches. And I remember one of the big things when I signed on to Dancing with the Stars was my mum turned around to me and said, does this mean you are missing three months of Sunday lunches? Yes. Yes. And it, it was such an issue. And yes. I was like, listen, guys, please just Dad would understand this is business, Lottie. This is business. He gets like, it. Yeah. So Sunday lunch is hugely important. And that's when... Like you say, that's when everyone sits down and obviously as we everyone gets older and your lives get busier, you don't see each other as much, but you, we still come together once a week and you give each other a therapy session and you fill each other in on your lives and you catch up and uh, you touch base and it's so important to do and I think we'll always probably do it. I just think it's, it's so important. You'll probably also do it now because you know it means so much to your dad and it was what your dad done for all of you. So it's probably more important. Yeah, it, absolutely. And even to the, the, the point of silliness, like Christmas Day, he, we had these traditions in my house where, you know, he'd go downstairs to check if um, Santa had come or not. And we'd all sit at the top of the stairs and then we'd run down. And um, on Easter, we do an Easter egg hunt. And yeah. we, and I don't know if it's for us or for my mum, but we still do all those things every year, even though at this stage, we're all adults. I am not too old for Santa to come. I'm saying that now or the Easter bunny. Absolutely. Anyone that wants to bring me chocolate or presents, <laughs> it's a yes from me. So I think tradition is just something that helps with grief because it's also a moment to sit down and recount memories and say, oh, do you remember that Christmas when this happened? And it's, it's a time to bring back happy memories and talk about good times. And that's soothing and therapeutic. I quite like what you said there. I quite like that sentence, tradition. You know, and tradition can help with grief. I quite like what you, yes, that's a really good sentence. And I also think 
it would make our parents proud that we continued their traditions in honor of them. Absolutely. Because I know how important certain things were to my dad. I know how important it was to him that we were a tightly knit unit. I know how important it was to him that we looked after mum. I know how important it was that we did things. We kept traditions going that he created and were important. And I think when we continue to do them, we keep him alive and we do him justice because it's what he wants and it was what he wanted. Um, I think that's a really, a really nice thing. Um, people have asked me, even on this, someone has said to me on one of the episodes, oh God, you know, how's your dad? And I was like, oh, dad's fine. And then I'd say to myself, is dad fine? Mm. And then I find, because I'd ask, and I'm saying this about your mom, I'd, I'd ask about, I'd ask dad, hi dad, you know, how are you? He goes, oh, you know, I'm fine. Dad likes to talk about mom and he'll always tell us about arguments we didn't know about or something happened here yeah. or something happened there. <laughs> but it's so strange because you don't see, I, you don't, when, when, I, when we lost mom, I was so engrossed in my own grief, you know, the fact that she was my mom. I forgot that she was his girlfriend. They had a first kiss, a first date, fiance, husband and wife, you know, all the children. It's so strange. How do you think or do you worry about how your mom is do you do you and your mom talk about oh grief? of course we worry about it. we we all worry about each other in the worried about each other in the beginning because like that i don't think i what you're saying i don't think i coughed that for many years right. because i well, just you were so young like i was nearly 40 i'm you know i'm a little older to kind of jump sort of way yeah you're, you're, you were so young i definitely only thought of it as oh my god dad is gone what's going to happen now? I didn't think of it as mum lost the love of her life. You know, I didn't think of any of that. And it, not from a selfish standpoint, no, it was just, it, the thought just didn't cross my mind until many, many years later, many, many years later, when you'd start to think, you know, God, you feel bad and you think, God, you know, mum's the love of her life isn't here and yeah. uh you know that you start to worry about it more as you get older but we all had such an open relationship and we all I think we helped her and she helped us because you know she would tell us stories about dad and that we might not not no, have known funny yes. things about them growing up and likewise we would tell her things you know oh do you remember that time you know, Rex said he was on work experience and he wasn't. He was kicked out of school for the day and he was hanging out in 2FM where, you know, it, it, you tell each other things and that helps everyone involved. But I don't think any child maybe immediately thinks no. somebody's no. lost their not partner. When you're, not when you're so young. I, you know, you don't because you're, and I, I find that grief is just so, grief is a very tricky thing. And I, I don't think I've ever, I, you'll ever master because I, I kept masking my pain and I kept masking uh, my grief with just saying that I was fine when mm. I wasn't fine. Yeah. I just kept pretending because I felt like I had to pretend to look out for my sisters or when I'm out and about and people talk to me, you know, hi, how are you? I've heard about your mom. It was a way of much like what you said of me pretending because I didn't want to give emotion 
And you to don't want to make other people know. uncomfortable. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, and also to cry or what have you losing? I'm in done stores getting yeah. the shopping or I'm checking in, you know, to fly to London or to LA. You almost feel like you, you have to kind of keep your shit together. Absolutely. And I think that's why I became so closed off because I just thought I can't deal with the emotion of getting into conversation with other people about it. And it's just easier not to get into the conversation, which actually is not the healthiest thing to do. No, Um, I agree. But that was just a coping mechanism, I suppose, for me for a long, long time. And it was just, that was just what I felt was easiest because like you said, you just don't want to start talking to someone and risk getting upset or, you know, not giving them the emotion that you think they're expecting from you. And yeah, there's there's pressure. There's pressure. There really is. When I was going through the airport and anyone that knows me would know that I'm obsessed with Christmas and my mom's Christmas dinner, it's my favorite meal. And they would say to me, oh, I bet you can't wait to go home. Is your mom doing the full, the full, the full dinner, the full this? And I go, yeah, yeah, she is. Oh, you were saying your mom loves Christmas as if my mom's still alive. Mm. And, and I, 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 sometimes I relished in that, which is so stupid. I relished in it and I'd walk away thinking, she was alive. And I know that sounds stupid. No, it doesn't. But, but I never corrected the person. I still don't correct people that say it to me. And that I what use like the present tense, do you mean? No, that they still think she's alive that may not know she's passed. Okay. Because I don't, you don't want to make somebody feel awkward. And, That's, yeah. you'd, you know, and it shouldn't be awkward. It shouldn't be awkward. It shouldn't be a subject that makes people feel awkward. But unfortunately... If you're somebody who hasn't been through it, you're going to feel awkward. But if yeah. you're somebody who has been through it, I don't think that you would. I wouldn't. If somebody checked me, I'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like I'd know how to deal with it. But I think if you're somebody who hasn't dealt with death, you probably wouldn't know how to deal with it. I think I relish in the fact I can talk about her as if she's still around and she's still just so there. But doesn't that just prove what an impact she had on you? Oh, totally. Like, even when I talk about her, I smile when I talk about her. It's so strange. Like, I could engage. And you know from doing the show, I'm a talker. Like, if I walk into your room and you're rehearsing, you can kiss 25, 20 minutes goodbye because I'm in there getting the gossip. My mom was like that. My mom loved a cup of tea. She loved to sit down. She loved to talk. And the idea of doing the podcast was, you know, sitting down with people, having a cup of tea or whatever you wanted to have, a glass of wine. And there was nothing that you couldn't fix by having an honest conversation and having a cup of tea. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Because I think my dad was quite like that. He talked about everything and was always very open and honest with us. Yet in his, in his passing, I don't know how open and honest I was with myself about it for a long, long time. Even though it's the way I was brought up. You know? why, do you think, why do you think that is? Don't know, Brian. I don't know if it's because I'd never dealt with death before, you know, in such a close capacity. I mean, it's just not the same when a grandparent passes no, away or when your dog not. passes away. No, it's just it's not. not the same. Particularly no. if you're young and your universe is supported by a person. Like, you know he was the center of my universe. He was my household. And you feel like the rug has been pulled from under you then suddenly, you know, it's like, mm. how, how does life continue to be stable? 
But, but it doesn't. I know, but that's just, you just don't want to hear that when it happens. No, like there were a couple of people who said that to me when it happened. Oh, it'll never be the same. And I remember wanting to punch them. <laughs> You're be, like, shut the fuck up. Being like, how dare you say that to me? You know, I don't want to hear that. I don't, I need, I don't need to hear that. And now looking back, I realised they were right. But when you're in the throes of it, it's just not what you want to hear. Do you still talk to your dad? Yes, I do. Um, I do still talk to him um, and I probably always will. I hope I always do um, because I think he gives the best advice. um, Does he still advise you? Yeah. Is that weird? No, not at all. Yeah, he does. Um, and he gave me so many nuggets of advice, nuggets of advice as I was growing up that I still live by. So one oh, and, and you can share with me, something oh, I can, gosh. I can that'll help me. One thing he told me was, Lottie, you must always remember that women see the world in technicolor and men see it in black and white. So go easy on your fella. <laughs> I like that. I remember being like, "Oh, okay, that's probably not the um, that's probably a bit of an insult." But he was she was trying to help me when I was having a fight at the time with someone. Yeah, like he just or work harder than everybody else in the room. Always, always, yeah. always, always be the hardest worker in the room. Um, he, there's so many things, um, and I think because of that, I value his words so greatly. Yeah, so I, I hope to always hear them. I was so lucky when Arthur and I got married that my mom walked me down the aisle mm. and I was so happy that she did. And we're five years married this year because um, my dad had done it five times already. Like dad okay. was like, we are done. Like, you know, <laughs> um, So like, no, dad's done it, sorry, four times already. I'm marrying one of my sisters. He had done it four times. So I was so excited that mom, you know, could do that and share that. And I look back at pictures and, you know, Jenny McCarthy, uh, McCarthy, the photographer at our weddings, you know, when at mom's anniversary will send me a picture still. And she's done that two years running and it'll be of, maybe one that I've not seen before. And it'll be me of my mom or my, me and me, you know, mom and I dancing or, you know, or coming down the aisle. What was it like for you? Not, not having that. Was that one of those moments you were like, this just isn't fair. Um, To be honest with you, I didn't think about him a huge amount on my wedding right. day. Yeah. Um, now I'm only married three years. You're a newlywed. I'm yeah. So I I'd had That's a while. That's why you're glowing. <laughs> I'd had a while, and um, I think what I wanted to make sure coming up to my wedding was I didn't want the day to be about dad. No, I get it. And, uh, you know, because it's so easy for that to happen for a bride because everybody is like, and who's walking you down the aisle? And are you just going to be thinking about your dad? I'm like, no, man, I want to think about my hair and my makeup and my dress. I don't, that's not what I want to think about. All the important things on the day. Yeah, I don't want to think about my dead dad. So um, my brother walked me down the aisle and I have the most incredible pictures of it. Um, and we had a lovely table at my reception um, with a picture of my dad and loads of whiskey on the table and cigars and for like his brothers. And I had his friends at my wedding and um, everyone toasted to him. But I kind of consciously didn't want it to all be about the fact that he wasn't there. You know, I didn't want it to 
to be focused on that. Now, if I'm being honest, the day I I celebrated my wedding in Italy and I got married in a registry office um, beforehand in Dublin with just yeah. my immediate family. The registry office thing was was probably upsetting. Because it's so intimate. And it's so you can intimate. see that there's just one person missing. Exactly. So yeah. I found that more difficult. Um, and Jenny actually photographed that day for me as well. Oh, wow, amazing. Was so conscious of where my emotions were. Yeah. And got those great pictures that, you know, most people have the dad seeing you in your dress and um, that moment. And she got those moments for me of my mum seeing me. And um, yeah. like, she was just incredible and gentle about the whole thing and that made having people around you who understand and care makes all the difference in those moments yeah but I quite like you know your honesty and what you've said there because I think people want us to have an honest conversation about it. And what you're saying on your wedding day, you didn't want it to be about that you know you didn't want to be sad on your wedding day you wanted to celebrate the love and that you were marrying your soulmate and your best friend. You didn't want it to be sad. No, I didn't want it to be sad. And when I, when I, um, when people found out that I was getting married, um, all I knew straight away, oh, here comes, uh, here's what everyone's going to okay. bloody ask me who's walking you yeah. down the aisle. And that was, it was, and I kind of was a little bit resentful because I was like, that's not what this is about. Like, this is a celebration. This is a, this is a, a moment to of two families coming together and it's not about the dead man <laughs> like, yeah. do you know what I mean I know. do you feel you've had to kind of work harder personally to prove yourself because of your name yeah I do right I think um I think people maybe sometimes have an expectation of me before they meet me um which is fine that's grand um I often get people going, oh, you're very different to what I thought you were going to be. Or, um, so I, I do think maybe people think they know me before they meet me. Um, so sometimes I feel the need to work harder and prove myself. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything no. wrong with pushing yourself to work harder. And um, I'm never going to be ashamed of who my father is or what my heritage is I'm so proud of it and if that's what comes along with the territory well so be it like I think you know we're all given opportunities but we have to prove ourselves in those opportunities for them to continue I think a door can be opened for you for yeah, sure I agree. Yeah. but I think um when other people's names and creativity and you know work is on the line um they're not going to hold on to you if you can't toe the line you'll be kicked yeah. out that door twice as quickly and believe me when I say the fall will be twice as hard because there's twice as many people looking at you yeah. so I do think doors can be opened but I think you have to really work your butt off to to stay in there and prove yourself how do you think grief has changed you as a person oh my god I think it I think it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to me in my life um I'm a completely different person to the person I was before I found out he died um maybe I'm getting better at saying just from this conversation that I'm a better person maybe I'm more empathetic maybe I'm 
more understanding. Maybe I'm more open and I'm not as closed off as time has gone by. Um, I'm not so afraid of talking about certain things anymore. Um, but it's completely changed me. And if you'd said that to me 10 years ago, that I was going to completely change, you would, would have terrified me. But I'm in such a good place now that I'm happy with how my life has gone, you know? If you were to give anyone, and this is it's a difficult question, if you were to give anyone any advice, or mm-hmm. someone when this episode goes out next Tuesday at one o'clock, <laughs> would you be if someone was to contact you with their story of grief is there anything you would say to them that you go try this or or do this oh my god I'd say be so kind to yourself yeah yes please because I was cruel to myself I had such you know high expectations of how I would manage grief and how I would get through it and um I would be done by this stage and move on and um be kind, let yourself mess up, let yourself have bad days, eat the ice cream, um, have the glass of wine, do what you need to do and just talk, talk as much as you can. Um, And I think that's why what you're doing is so incredible because I can't imagine what it would have done for me if I'd been able to listen to something like this Mm. when it happened to me Mm. but I couldn't because there was nothing like this and I was a closed off person so I didn't even go to bereavement counseling so I just literally counseled with my family so I think talk as much as you can be kind to yourself and if you feel it's getting on top of you and you feel you can't control it reach out to someone reach out to a friend reach out to a family member and just look after yourself um, it's what I've always said talking is therapy yeah and it's not easy no talking is not easy and it sounds like the easiest thing to do it's free you know you talk to somebody and it doesn't call you know it, it can be a friend it doesn't have to be a therapist um, and you know it's very difficult to do though being honest with yourself and honest with your feelings is not an easy thing to do I think trust do you know, maybe that's the word I take from, from his death is trust. Learning to trust people more because I just stopped trusting people because I thought, you know, everybody wants a story and I just didn't trust very well. I'm becoming better at trusting and being a bit more open and thinking, well, Jesus, if I can be open and help someone with my story, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be an incredible thing to be able to do if somebody said, Jesus, I feel like that and that's what I'm going through. So maybe I'm not weird for feeling like this. Uh, Oshie, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. Not at all. I'm delighted we're having this chat. Um, Talking to Lottie reminded me that grief isn't linear. There is no start, middle and end. There are bad days early on. There are bad days 20 years later. But just as there are bad days, there are good ones too. Laughs come in all shapes and sizes and happiness finds a way back in when we let it. I'd like to thank Lottie so much for talking to me today. In these strange times we are living in, there are a number of frontline workers that perhaps many of us don't want to think of. But I feel given the topic of this podcast, it would be remiss of me not to acknowledge them. The embalmers, the morticians, the funeral directors, 
the grave diggers, all those who play such a vital role at the end of our loved ones' lives. For so many families during this COVID crisis, loved ones are being entrusted to their care. And on behalf of everyone, I just want to say thank you. Next week is our final episode of Death Becomes Him. After all I've learned from talking to my friends, I return to my hometown of Rathangan, sit down with my sisters and finally answer the question, will we ever be fine again? I would say what's helped us is that we are, we're still super close. Yes. And that we talk about mum all, all the time. The time. Yeah. And I, I even said to her, I said to her, I, I asked, does she have a favourite? Because yeah, I always right. think, did she have a favourite? Because I would say if she did, it was me. <laughs> no, I think it was I me. I always say it was no, me. No, it was me. It's so strange. But do you think, Trace, you, she must, I mean, you've got three children, so do you have a favourite? No, I don't no. think so. I think you have different relationships. No. Do you think Mam had a favourite? No, I don't no. think so. I think like she got, maybe some of us got on a little bit, not even better with her, but I think we were all her favourites in different yeah, ways. I think no, she loved us all the time. I'm still I edging my bets like, on I, me being the favourite.